Hello everybody, welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. I am Cami Black. Joining me this evening, uh, we on a, a momentous day for Scottish Rugby, which we'll get on to later on. Uh, I have John Anderson. Good evening, John. Evening, folks. And Ian Hay. Howdy. Um, you, if you're watching this live, we're on YouTube, um, Periscope, which is on the Twitter, uh, and Twitch. Um, you can watch us live, and you can also download us on podcast apps as well and uh, listen to the audio version of this afterwards. Uh, it's pretty much exactly the same. We, we do ramble on a little bit on this sometimes, and we can hit the uh, – we, we've not quite hit the two-hour mark yet. We were we far off when I was hosting. Yeah. We were, we, uh, an hour and 52, I think. Yeah. That's just kind of, of us as well. Hmm? Yeah. Was that just the pair of us as well, Chris? I, <laughs> that was sure there was a lot to discuss. That was the one where I think I was having an I was having a lovely night in with the wife, but I'd said I'll stay up and I'll edit the podcast after I've <laughs> after we've finished and, and I went I went, to, I went to log on. Four in the morning. I know. <laughs> I went to log on to say, Oh, that'll be them done. I'll download the audio file now and you're still yammering away. <laughs> but if you want an edited version of the podcast where we just get straight to the main talking points of the day, you can sign up to our Patreon. From three pound a month, if you go to patreon.com slash Scottish Rugby Podcast, um, you get edited versions of the podcast where we cut strip out all the bits where we talk about um, my date nights. Um, that and, they, another, they just go into the OnlyFans site. That's they? it. Yeah, um, and we just we kind of just focus on the main talking points, so you can sign up for that. You also get exclusive content. Um, after we've recorded this uh, tonight, we're going to do our. We're going to do our first episode of Scotland's Hardest Players, and we're going to look at the 2010s and now. So it's going to be about five minutes, I think, to rattle through the hardest player of the 2010s. I'm guessing. We'll see how we go. Um, <laughs> but we're going to build up. We're going to go backwards. So we start now in 2010s and work our way backwards to, um, to 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 the very beginning to give us time to do some proper research into that. Um so that's what you get if you sign up for the Patreon. If you pay £5 a month or more, we'll read your name out on the podcast as a, as a thank you as well. Um, we are also sponsored by Manscaped.com, who uh, provide you with a, a wide range of gentlemen's grooming products, uh, mainly focused on the downstairs area, it has to be said, but they also do nose trimmers as well. You can buy yourself some uh, lovely um, aftershave as well, some ball toner, some ball deodorants, Lovely bit of uh, toiletry bag as well. Um, so if you go to manscaped.com slash Scottish Rugby or you go to manscaped.com and put the code SRP in at the checkout, you'll get 20% off plus free shipping. Now, you notice they're everywhere, Manscaped, at the minute. They're on every single podcast. So, you know, that just shows that shows how mainstream we are. Everyone thinks we're woke. With, there's a lot of people with Sean Scrotums doing podcasts. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's just... I'm guessing. I mean, it's an American con- company. I'm guessing what they've seen is the uh, you know lockdowns lifted. People are going to go start going back into general circulation, and, and people want to be presentable. I'm rocking. I look. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm rocking a nice new denim shirt tonight. I did notice I that, Cam. Actually, I thought I'd dress up. I'm trying to make an effort. Designer, designer stubble there as well, mate. Yeah. I've put the you know I've put the the jogging bottoms have gone back in the drawer. I'm trying to. Trying to make myself more presentable in public. I actually just bought more jogging bottoms. That's what I was, I was, I was <laughs> just thinking. You know, a man can never have too many joggers. I think I've still got a pair of joggies from when I worked in Sports Direct when I was like nineteen. Oh, that's nice. the only pair of joggies I've got. <laughs> you are so so hipster, though, Ian. Like you can't get away with joggies. 
I'm, I'm wearing shorts at the moment. Are you? Oh, hip, yeah. shorts are pretty hipster. Are they? Oh, why? Although I'm worried though, because the, the Adidas bit started cracking on them. These are my, my Andy Murray Adidas shorts. No, for ah, nice. I've, I've had them for a, quite a while now. My brother got me them for Christmas, and then he's yeah. like, "Did, did you re- do you recognise outfit?" Because he got me a top as well. That noise. Like, that's what Andy Murray was wearing at the Australian <gasps> Open final. <gasps> that's you. That's you. Hit that's the it. tennis courts immediately. All the gear, no idea. Yeah, so, so if, you, if you want to make sure that, um, you know, there's nothing that peaks up above your shorts or below your shorts um, unnecessarily when you're out and about this summer, then go to manscaped.com, invest in some male grooming products. Um, we, um, we've we got a, a, a bit to crack through tonight. It's mostly news to be, has to be said because um, there really been any rugby to speak of. Um, there is a new documentary that is going to be made called The Great Game. I've got that right, you know, I wanted to call it The Greatest Game, but I think that's, a, that's an American film. It's called The Great Game. The great game, yes. Uh, about the because we are now in the 150th anniversary of the very first rugby international. So the documentary uh, is going to be presented by Richard Bath. There's crowdfunding for it now. Um, Ian caught up with Richard and the director Marcus um, on Monday to have a chat about that. Um, so you'll hear the interview, and at the end, um, Ian um, gives details of the links, and we'll put those on the podcast as well. So um, we'll just crack on with this. Books. Uh, I'm joined now by uh, rugby journalist and author Richard Bath uh, and also film director Magnus Week. Uh, they've joined us here today so we can discuss um, a documentary they've worked on, on called The Great Game, uh, which looks at the historic uh, match between England and Scotland played 150 years ago at Rayburn Place. Um, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. Um, yeah, so, lovely to be here. Thank you. Cool. Uh, so I'll just start with you, Richards, um, if you don't mind. Um, so is this something that you've had in the pipeline for a while or uh, was, you know, what was it that specifically motivated you to, to get this film on the go? Yeah, I'm a bit of a, a rugby history nerd. So uh, I've written a whole load of books about rugby history and, um, and my kids actually, both my boys played rugby at Raven Place. So I've always been really aware of the, uh, of the history of the place. And um, as a as with all great ideas, it came about in the pub. We're sitting Magnus um, with Magnus, whose uh, house looks over the um, the, uh, the the Raven Place, and he said, "Oh, what about what about doing a documentary?" And I'd, I think I'd had about three pints too many, and I went, "Yeah, what a good what a good <laughs> idea!" So, and and here we are. <laughs> yeah, so, um, Magnus, uh, so you've probably got the most IMDb credits of anyone we've had on the, the show. Um, <laughs> Some of them dodgy, as much as anyone else. <laughs> Well, you know that was, a, that was on a different website. I saw those ones. Um, so like the uh, the last thing he did was a sort of paranormal psychological thriller called Dark Sense. Um, I mean, have yep. you have you done a lot of documentary in your time, or, or what was it that sort of got you? Involved yeah, in this? I mean, I've done I've done a fair amount of documentary in my time. I did a a series which was all about kind of ghosts and ghouls for uh, of Scotland, and that was a six part series for. STV um, and uh, the first documentary I did was about Mary Millington which Richard will probably recognize the name of who was a 70s porn star um, but <laughs> um, and that was my that was my first documentary I worked on but I was only I, I worked on as uh, editor and worked with the director on that and that was for Channel 4 I don't know nearly 20 years ago now but the um, so I've always done documentary Dark Sense was a, a very much a drama a thriller and that was my first feature film uh, directing. We've got more in the pipeline now for that as well. But um, I think what, what I suppose what binds all those different aspects together is having a good story. 
And I think what stood out to me with the 1871 game, and, you know, I came from a place of, I moved into a house that overlooks the ground, uh, and you're always kind of skirting around looking for good ideas that, of, of good stories. Uh, and it was just, just started chatting to Richard in that pub, and, and he was saying, oh, yeah, you know, when you're, when you're actually, look at that game, it had some incredible characters on it, and I'm sure Richard will go into a few of them. You know, people that then went on to play cricket and football and you know we're really at the forefront of all the early kind of sporting engagements in that sort of sense of of when international sport I mean there was various international things previously but you know it was the moment where international sport really got going and got rocketing was after the 1871 game um, and a lot of the people that played in those games actually played you know in, in cricket as well um, so that so it wasn't. It's not. I suppose just about a game of rugby. It's. It's much more about the, about the uh, the characters involved, you know. Um, and I think that's what that's what leapt out to me anyway. So when you're looking back at a, a historical event like this, which is you know a bit of a while ago, probably before well, it's before the sort of you know the the Lumiere brothers and, and George Melier had yeah popularized <laughs> cinema. Um, yeah, yeah. So how, how difficult is it to find sort of archive material and resources when you're you're going back this far? There's plenty of written evidence that exists and um, there's lots of uh, newspaper accounts of the game uh, and actually as part of the crowdfunding we've become aware of like diaries from the actual players themselves and that's something that we're going to be picking up on and it was stuff that we weren't really aware of and part of the idea that we've done this the crowdfunding campaign was also to try and Kind of raise its profile and find out who's out there that might have extra stuff because as you say there, there aren't there aren't there aren't any films of the game or anything like that there's the two team kind of photographs and a, a relatively recent print that surfaced which shows the game itself um so i mean now that we're looking at it we're going right well we're going to do a whole lot of drama recreations as part of it so we'll be recreating the match and you know there's lots of things about the match itself uh, with the rules where there was hacking and I don't think even now I've got straight in my head what hacking is, but basically it appears to be literally kicking other players, <laughs> mostly when they're standing, but probably quite a lot when they're down as well. <laughs> it was quite a rough game. Um, uh, so, so yeah, so we're going to be doing a kind of match recreations of that. Um, but, you know, anybody that's got anything from that period, you know, it's fascinating to see it because, you know, the game's changed a huge amount in that time um and uh, so i think that's all going to be quite interesting to discover and that's kind of what the film is it's a bit of a journey for richard he's going to be the kind of the center of it and we're kind of going to be seeing the story develop through his eyes as he finds out more about what that game of rugby was and what it meant okay so um so richard um, who, who were your sort of main sources of uh, information and um, when you were collating all this together there's a, there's a ton of stuff. I mean, uh, uh, there's a, a guy called Arthur uh, Guillemard who played in a game who, uh, who who wrote screeds. Um, in fact, there are a whole bunch of a whole bunch of guys uh, who who played um, wrote extensively about the match itself. And there, there's and there's you know obviously there's there's um, all the newspaper uh, accounts of the time. But but there's there's a I mean there's an incredible wealth of stuff out there. Uh, and um, and actually a lot of the guys who played went on to do extraordinary things. Um, it, this wasn't like their one moment in the sun. They, they went on to do incredible other stuff. And so there's a lot of other um, memorabilia, accounts, um, diaries, a lot of stuff just hanging around out there. And it's amazing how um, how often you sort of come across stuff. Um, you know, for instance, I was, I was playing golf with a a, um, um, a guy who uh, who uh, is a church elder up in Fife. 
and we were just chatting chatting away somebody up to and I, so I told him and he said ah oh, one of the guys who played in the um in the uh, the 871 match left uh, left my church his uh, his bible and it's got quite a lot of um it's got quite a lot of inscriptions inside about what he did and how he played and you know so it's, it's just this thing these these incredible moments of um that you come across where you where you're not we start looking for stuff and it just starts coming out of the woodwork and um and and a, and a number of a number of stories as well i mean you know that, that that are out there i mean you know so for instance i mean the guy uh, burns who put together the uh the england side he um he was actually from st andrews went to edinburgh academy and, and then went down south and was uh, playing a, a black heath he, he was actually the guy who was virtually responsible for the um for the calcutta cup he was a uh, secretary of Calcutta Rugby Club when they wound up, and it was his idea to to, to come up with um, to use the reserves for the Calcutta Cup. So, and a load of these guys went on to do other things, um, and it's just all those sort of really really interesting stories. I mean, these were guys who they sort of fashioned the world that we live in now. I mean, you know, there's a, in fact Magnus and I were talking about it earlier on um, about some of the stuff that led directly on from this game. So you got 1871, you know, the the, the first match, but within sort of 15 years you've got seven starting uh you know but those borders clubs wouldn't have been there without the 1871 game because you had this explosion of interest and it's just it's just just really interesting and uh, you know obviously in 1870 uh uh you know after the 1871 game you know football soccer started up um in the same sort of format so there's, there's, there's just ton of stuff and and some of the guys are, are incredibly incredibly interesting you know we've all got our, our, our favorites um i mean one of my one of my favourites is a, a guy called Henry Clayton, who was a big. Um, he was a seventy. You know, the average weight for the guys who played was just over twelve stone, and he was uh, seventeen and a half stone forward. Um, and he used to go out. Um, he used to run for for five miles every morning with his uh, with his Newfoundland dog, uh, and then ride to work in Liverpool on his horse. And then he'd come back, ride, ride back home, do a 12 hour day, ride back home. And he would live off um, his, his, uh, his preparation for the first international in terms of food was, um, was strong beer and raw meat. <laughs> that's, that's what he lived off. Uh, I mean, he didn't do very well in the game because uh, he, he <laughs> had a really bad diet. <laughs> you know, so you'll get these guys. And he was really interesting. I mean, you know, there was a, I mean, there's a guy called Bulldog Irvin as well. Uh, he was only 17 at the time and went on to become Scotland's first ever uh, sort of sporting superstar, really. Um, and I mean, played against England 10 years in a row. And you, 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 I mean, these are guys that people very little is known about. But actually, I mean, he, his best mate was Robert Louis Stevenson. And we just did just did such interesting stuff. Um, and uh, uh, there's a... Um, there are various other uh, other guys who um, who just fascinate me. There's, uh, I mean, obviously, the, what uh, a 16 year old who's supposed to play in the game and got bitten by a dog two days before uh, and couldn't couldn't play um, is uh, went on to captain Scotland at um, uh, Leslie Balfour Melville. He went on to captain Scotland at cricket uh, when they beat the Aussies uh, a couple of years later, and you know he played in the uh, he, he won the uh, amateur open. He came second in the actual open at, at golf. You know, these were guys who were sort of sporting colossuses, and you know, uh, uh, and there's just, there's just, um, you know, reading their also, diaries. Yeah, go on. There's also, there's also some of the the other people that are slightly unexpected, like um, a chap from the Cocoa Islands, who um, was basically the first man of color to play in an international sporting game. 
sorry, the first match. And that's kind of unexpected. You don't expect that at the first international to have um, um, what Alfred Clooney's Ross uh, basically playing in that game. So there's some unexpected stories there. And I think one of the things that helps it kind of leap forward is, um, for example, um, J.K. Rowling wrote a short story for her Pottermore series, which has got, which features the 1871 game as, a, as a, featuring a wizard, I think that had, was basically a failed wizard and got, had, had left Hogwarts. Um, so you've kind of got these stories which have now morphed out of the 1871 game. And it's obviously quite important to more people than you'd realize as well. Um, and I think that's that that's why these things can come to life because some of the people that we're going to have talking about um, the actual game itself will connect this, the 1871 game to much more of a present day context as well, whether it's um, uh, through somebody like Alfred Clooney Ross or, or JK. Sorry, Richard, I cut right across you there, didn't I? That's right, on you go. <laughs> I spent my life just cutting across Richard and he's going, oh, shut up. Yeah, but it's off. interesting. I mean, Alfred Clooney's Ross is, Alfred Clooney's Ross is a, a great example. I mean, I remember when Joe Ansborough made his debut for Scotland and uh, there was a big, you know, what was that, uh, 15 years ago. It's big to do about, uh, you know, the first... Um, man of colour to play for, for Scotland and I was going but but hold on there was <laughs> there was another guy uh, and, and when you go back to um, those days and you start reading the accounts and you start talking to historians you realise actually that the um, African Ross had a brother who also played at a high level of sport and these guys were welcomed in it, 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 it's a really really interesting sort of view into um, a society where um, you know it, I, that had probably very different values to, to the ones that we all we would normally ascribe to them now um you know you've got to remember that when people played sport at this time uh, they were all really middle class had a bit of money you know they, 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 this wasn't a big cross section of society and uh and these were so so you know it's, it's a really really interesting time and it's a time that's sort of given us I and mean, we were just saying you know that the six nations started or the five nations as it was then started soon up soon after all that home international and then on to the you know within 20 years onto the um well, 30 years onto the the, the the five nations and that's a format we've effectively still got now that's quite interesting i think as well was there not um scotland's first uh football captain was he not a, a, a black afro-caribbean guy uh albert watson i think his name was something like um so, uh yeah and andrew watson andrew he was watson, uh, he was scotland's first he was Scotland's first black footballer, but that was quite that was quite soon after. It wasn't long after at all. Yeah. yeah so um, so let's let's speak of the game itself. Uh, but we'll not give too much away because we want people to watch the documentary as well. Um, but Magnus has already mentioned uh, hacking, um, and I believe you know there's there's another couple of little uh, idiosyncrasies, shall we call them, such as um, is it, is it true that there was no penalties in the match because a gentleman wouldn't cheat? Is that the yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but it, mind you, they say they say a gentleman wouldn't cheat, but the um, the English arrived and they came on a um, a train overnight and they were absolutely knackered. So they had a couple of hours of kip in the morning, uh, and then they then they got to Raven Place and all the pitches in in England were very wide, and uh, they had very good backs, and um, and they got to Raven Place, which had been made uh, laid out very very narrowly, <laughs> and because of Scots had really good forwards and they were just absolutely outraged and then they had, so first of all they had an argument about that then they had an argument about the uh, about the laws which went on for for ages uh, and then there was a uh, and then there was a great moment in the in the game the uh, the winning try was scored by a guy called Angus B, Angus Buchanan and uh, 
who, who uh, the English guys didn't think that it, the ball had been uh, touched down and were, and were very vociferous uh, in, their, uh, in their, their, their complaining. And the umpire, as he was then called, was a guy called Healy Hutchison Almond, who was uh, headmaster of, uh, I think, Loretto School. And he, um, he, he, he treated all players like schoolboys. And he, he said he gave the, um, he awarded the try on the basis that uh, he, he always awarded the try to the team that against the team that complained the most because that meant they were probably in the wrong. And all of the above helped sort of you know that that really fed into that right helped spark that spark that rivalry. Um, so not, nothing much has changed. <laughs> yeah, you know, 150 years later, we're still complaining about referees, even with TMOs and all that. Um, so well, I was actually going to ask, uh, you know, what what manner was the game played in? Because obviously I'm a I'm a Glasgow boy, so you know there's a couple of football teams here that aren't too keen on each other. Um, the first <laughs> few times they they played, apparently it was it was very sort of friendly. Um, yeah, well, and, I, I mean, actually that that was it. I mean, I think because it was a, just a curiosity because nobody had ever had um, uh, matches like this before. It was actually played on a, a, a on a Monday, and so a lot of people were at work. So again, it was a very sort of um, I, and it's Edinburgh. Lots of people, lots of genteel clapping. Not, not much. Sort of, certainly wasn't anything like an old firm game. And um, yeah, and it was. You know, there was a lot of appreciation of good play from both sides. And and it was sort of played in the sort of spirit of um, of, um, of of the time, so of Victorian England, uh, Victorian Britain. And um, the um, yeah, it, the the officer off the pitch. Everybody was incredibly genteel on it. It was pretty full-blooded. I mean, there were there were several players who who never never played again. Um, one in particular who got hit so hard that he he went off, uh, and that that was it. He just wasn't ever able to play again. But was the uh, game? This is where I, I actually should a question as well. But was the game more? You know, was it a, more of a cross with football at the time with kicking the ball up the pitch? More like because what I thought that was one of the things with hacking was people would hack the ball up the pitch. Yeah, well, it was it was at a time when the rules were in in flux. I mean, you're not long past the point at which um, football uh, and and rugby had sort of part um, parted ways, uh, and and they hadn't really parted ways that much. I mean, the only reason they played rugby rather than uh, football was because effectively there were no football clubs. There was Queens Park in in Scotland, and and, and that was it. And actually, that was the sort of background to the whole game because in 1870 they played a game of um, football between um, Scotland, Scotland, uh, uh, and, and England. But it wasn't Scotland; it was a bunch of guys from London, uh, where you know, representing Scotland. Uh, some of whom were Scots, some of whom weren't. And um, you know, there was such outrage that they should that Scotland should be represented at, at football, a game that wasn't really played in Scotland, that um, that they insisted on having a rugby game. And that's and that's that's what happened. And that's what led to the match. Exactly. Lots, lots, lots of angry people in the pub. <laughs> <laughs> Again, a lot has changed. Um, so what, what, <laughs> exactly. What were the other sort of main uh, real changes, real differences? Because uh, we we actually uh, we did a quiz a wee while ago, and I got it. I got the score right because I said it was one nil, um, because the try gave you a shot at goal. But then I've seen other uh, people say it was it was like. Two goals and one try for Scotland. What, what was the official score? And also, by the way, for anyone listening, sort of spoiler alert: Scotland won. Um. Yeah, I don't think there's two <laughs> people can Google it too easily. <laughs> there's the, no spoiler there. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's, well, that's it's, right. It's it was a try for goal, Everybody knows what happens at the end. Yeah. 
<laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, they didn't have uh, they didn't have points in the same way, um, and uh, effectively tries didn't count unless they were converted. So there was there were three tries in the game, and only one of them was converted, and so that's that's what won it. Yeah, because it was the try get you a, a try at goal. That was the exactly. etymology. Exactly. Yeah, that's where it comes from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, um, where's and it sounds like it was a dodgy try as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like two hands against uh, France, the first one. Um, <laughs> so, uh, where, where will the documentary be available for viewing, um, and when when do you expect to have it out? So basically, our current kind of timeline places us getting the whole thing finished um, at about the end of August, um, obviously with various restrictions. We're, not, we're still looking at when we're going to be able to actually start doing some of the interviews. So it, it's still a little bit grey, but basically with everything opening up as, it, as it's looking to do, we're looking at a timeline of roughly the end of August when we'll actually have some screenings uh, around Edinburgh. Uh, at the end of August and then the intention is to get it online so that people can see it via streaming services after that so you're looking at kind of later part of the year beginning of next year for streaming services um, to be to be announced <laughs> but one of the other aspects of it just to pick up is the the fact uh, the Museum of International Rugby which is um, going to be uh, built at Rayburn Place as well so um, it's part of a new development which is going to be there and the documentary will be a feature of that uh, new museum because at the moment there really isn't uh, that sort of home in Scotland for, for rugby in terms of a, a, a proper museum uh, so that, that's a really it's a really nice thing to be it's, it would have been so nice to have had a reconstruction and a proper match and all the rest of it on the actual day of you know the 150th anniversary as it was what we managed to do was have it was quite nice we had kind of the Aki's minis who are just the, the youth teams uh, training on the day uh, as well as Gregor Townsend and Mike Blair came down hot-footing it off the plane um, from France uh, and they came down uh, and and gave all their time to, to support uh, the documentary as well which is fantastic and, and you know in a sense that's kind of what we're with what we're doing with the documentary is we're um, we're trying to make sure there's a you know a good bit of light shone on this because it's a story that most people don't know you know it, it happened 150 years ago it doesn't feel that relevant but actually a lot in the stories is relevant and a, a lot of where we are today it comes from there very directly um, and so uh, we've kind of we've we've raised a lot of money it's basically a feature length documentary that we're giving a full you know broadcast budget and and we've already already raised and got sponsorship. Uh, for the documentary which has been fantastic but we're doing the last bit is crowdfunding in part the reason for that is to give rugby fans a chance to actually get involved with it as well um, and that's what we're keen to do get people to come along and support it via the crowdfunding yeah I've seen um, if, you, yeah. if you pay 50 quid you get your name in the credits um, absolutely absolutely yeah, and so we're, nobody's go. going to make this film for another 50 years exactly and your name permanently attached to it no well i mean that's it i mean we were kind of we were talking about it you know if we can get the same number of people that sits in a wee section of, of murrayfield to chuck in some money then we're there you know and it's just um but you know people do have different priorities and we completely recognize that especially at the moment but anybody that can support it be fantastic absolutely fantastic yeah, we, we we had we had a lot of um, friends, people we knew, and as as people uh, found out we were doing this, 
uh, people wanted to get involved, and this has given them a, a chance to do so. I mean, well, one of the reasons for doing it, as I said, I, I coached both my uh, both my sons at, uh, at Raven Place, so they were in the uh, the Bats, which is Broughton, Ackies, and, and Trinity. But you know, it's basically a, um, a, a community club for the whole of um, the, uh, of Stockbridge and the whole of um, that, that part of Edinburgh. And um, the you know, the, the, it's transformed what um, what was a rather sad place um, with porter cabins and look really down a hill in into into you know it, the transformation of it is is remarkable. We've got this incredible stand. Um, you know, they're going to be all weather pitches. Uh, it's going to be a museum, and and the the difference is already um, is already startling. I mean, it, it's a real pity that nobody's been able to see it because of COVID. But the, if you if you walk up an Inverleith Park, for instance, you can see this amazing stand. And, and it, you know, by the time it's finished and by the time there are all the all-weather pictures are in it, it'll be a, an incredibly commu incredible community asset for, for, for the whole of Edinburgh. Yeah, totally agree, totally agree. And I should just give a shout out to, um, <laughs> to our, 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 our big, big um, uh, supporters where we've had money come in from GPS, McPherson Charitable Trust and the Gordon Brown Memorial Fund. Uh, as well as uh, Famous Grouse and Bruin Dolphin have all stepped up and are uh, sponsoring it as well. So we're very much appreciative to them for, for supporting this. Great. So how many people have been working on the project? Um, has it mainly been yourselves or is it, have you had any honours, as we see? <laughs> well, the board of uh, Rayburn Place Foundation as well, of um, uh, Alistair Graham and Ralph Lund in particular, um, Stuart Bailey. So uh, uh, a whole bunch of guys, um, and uh, we've had some help from from Graham Law at the uh, SIU as well. Um, you know, who very kindly brought down Gregor and uh, Mike and the Calcutta Cup on the um, on the 150th anniversary. But it's yeah, it's basically Mag Magnus and I um, sitting over a couple of beers, talking yeah. about what we do. There is a get there's a bit more organization in it than that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a production company and we've got, we've got people working on it in the background. But, you know, uh, it, basically, once we finish the crowdfunding, we're, we're set to go and we will be lining up all the interviews. Um, but, you know, it's only now that you can see the U rest of the UK starting to unlock um, that you can actually start to get an appreciation that now we will be actually able to go and meet people properly. Because what we didn't want this to be was just a collection of Zoom calls. There's, there's much more to it than that. And I think seeing the places and the people, and we've got some ideas which bring it to life and make it a bit more fun in terms of like uh, a ball of the time being kicked and punted and stuff like that by by, by players and things like that. So um, it should be a good fun uh, trip uh, down uh, history lane, but uh, bringing it all to life nicely. So how many um, how many interviews do you have lined up? And is it, I take it it'll be, well, obviously not the players, um, unless they're immortals. Um, but, you know, fam <laughs> family members from, say, north and south of the border, or are, are you sort of mainly focusing on uh, the Scottish side? Yeah, there's a, the the the, uh, the majority of the um, of the interviews will be with with people in Scotland, but um, there's we don't we don't want to talk about exactly who we've uh, who we've got in the uh, um, uh, in in the in the documentary because it's uh, wouldn't be fair on the people yet, but we've got a whole load of quite big names lined up, uh, and I think people will really enjoy it. There's certainly, there's certainly kind of, uh, we're certainly kind of uh, present present day um, present day players, but also players from both sides of the border um, getting involved with it. Um, and also trying to reach outside that as well to people that just are fans of rugby as well. And yeah, we're in touch with a number of family members of some of the original players as well. Uh, and we're hoping to make sure that they get a feature as well uh, within the documentary. Um, 
Yeah, no, I think, I think you'll, you'll find a pretty big market for it. For example, you look at the success of Oceans Apart, um, you know, the film that Dan Leo's done. Um, so, yeah, I think you, you're you on to a winner there, gentlemen. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, I mean, have, this, have you got anything else you'd like to add uh, before we before we wrap up? Not really. I mean, just I'd, I would just encourage anybody to check out the crowdfunding website, have a look at it, see if you want to get your name in the credits, um, uh, or else come along to one of the premiere screenings as well. But you know, going further than that, please do you know keep an eye out for it for when it actually comes out properly, and uh, enjoy hearing about the story of of the, of these great people that kind of set it all in motion for us. I mean, for me, you know. I mean, I remember as a kid going along to watch uh, Scotland play at Murrayfield and it didn't matter how much we were losing by, even the last five minutes, you know, uh, Scotland got the ball and we're charging up the field, you know, the place, yeah, you know what it's like at a rugby game. It's such a, such a passionate, emotive moment uh, and um, it's easy in lockdown to forget about that, but... You know, it, it's, it was this game that kick-started all of that, you know, and, and it'd be fantastic to celebrate it. Excellent. Richard, anything else from, from you? Um, no, that's, that's uh, as I say, I mean, the one thing I would say is if you've got anything that you think might be of interest, you know, any old diaries, any caps, um, you know, we, we've, um, we recently came across an old um, law book, which we think is one of the oldest ones uh, out there. You know, anything like that that you think might be of interest, um, you know, just give us a shout. We'd love to, we'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. Um, well, we will, we'll put the links uh, for the film onto the, uh, the podcast uh, page once we, we share it. Um, but for those of you listening, it's thegreatrugbygame.com if you want to go and crowdsource it. Uh, and also uh, Twitter is at thegreatgamedoc. Is that right? Yes, at thegreatgamedoc, yeah. Yep, so you can ca- yep. keep up, uh, keep abreast with the, the updates there. Um, but for now, Magnus and Richard, thank you very much and uh, best of luck for the, for the rest of the film. Thank you Cheers. very much. Thank you. Cheers. So, that was interesting. I'm quite looking forward to seeing that documentary when it when it comes out eventually. Yeah, I mean, like you know, like we're saying, it's something that we don't know a lot about because there isn't footage and what have you, and it's quite a while ago. But and it's, it's recognised as basically the first international sporting event of all time, and not just the first ever, ever international rugby match. So obviously, it's it's massively you know important to not just rugby but sport in general. No, I didn't realise it was the first one, the kind of, like you said, the first proper kind of cross-border international match. That'd be, uh, yeah, definitely something worth covering. So, yeah, go visit the links and you can find out how, how to support the film as well. I mean, personally, I think they give us the 150th anniversary, we should have just held the Calcutta Cup under the under those rules. Or as close as they could have done. Bring back, actually, that's the new bring back rocking, bring back hacking. <laughs> I was thinking that Bring myself. back hacking. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and average weights being 12 stone three. <laughs> well, there's something to be said for that. I think we've discussed it on another podcast. <laughs> um, so um, the um, this weekend, Scotland women play Italy um, in what is the final round of the pool element of this year's Six Nations. So uh, essentially Italy and Scotland are battling out to find out who's going to finish second in the pool uh, because Italy were roundly beaten by England at the weekend. Um, it was 67-3. Um, and whoever um, comes um, to, whoever tops, whoever comes second is going to then play the second place in Pool B, which is France, Ireland and Wales. I think it seems most likely it's probably going to be Ireland uh, by the looks of things. Um, depending on, I haven't played France yet, have they? 
Is that this weekend? No, they had the, their, their rest week was the first week. So, um, then yeah, it's Ireland France this weekend. Uh, quarter past two. So Scotland are playing Italy at five o'clock. Now, um, we have, if you listen to the audio pod version of the podcast, you're going to now hear um, from Emma Wassell. Uh, but unfortunately, we, um, we we are broadcasting this prior to the, uh, to the <laughs> prior to when we're allowed to release it. So um, I'm going to stick it in the audio podcast um, and you can hear that now. I, I don't know fully Italy's situation in terms of what they've been able to do what they haven't been able to do but in terms of professionalism um, they are not a fully professional team and we are not fully professional teams kind of had that to battle with so and it has been difficult over these past few months so um, I would expect it to be a pretty competitive game I've, I've, I won't like beat around the it's tough um, it's not an ideal situation I'm kind of fortunate that the job I've been in I've been in for five years now, so I've got the people kind of support me well, but it's it's still a business I work for at the end of the day. Um, work needs done, whether that's me staying up late at night or getting up early pre-breakfast before training, doing it when we're in camp. Actually, with COVID, I have been a bit lucky because I can work from home, so I do actually have that flexible element. In the past, it's been even more difficult because there's been a whole travel element into it that... Um, I've not actually had to consider now, so it's it's tough and it's it's long days sometimes, but um, I'm managing it. <laughs> I still live in Aberdeen, but I've been in an Airbnb uh, in Edinburgh for um, just so I can be closer at the team again. We've got big games coming up, and I just kind of committed myself to kind of put myself in the best position with the team to train more consistently together. Um, and because I can work from home, that's something I can do. Um, so, yeah, it's just during the week, we've obviously not got camps. We've got our Tuesday, Thursday sessions. And it's even just been in the environment with the team, and um, whether it's in the gym or, um, yeah, just skill sessions, and um, just being as much, like, present as much as possible. Yeah, so, I, yeah, so I'm an auditor, so I um, just work. Obviously, we can do everything over Zoom and Teams and all the rest of it now. Um, but, so, yeah, I'm full-time work, I then this right now would be my annual leave. It's, uh, I have been super, super fortunate in terms of I have been, I've not ever missed a game yet. Um, <laughs> because of my work, um, I've probably missed out on a more club rugby than a lot of other players. Um, not out of choice, just kind of the way it's been. Um, that has allowed me to probably play better, better for um, prepare better for internationals and um, I have been I've had always had great kind of SNCs and physios around me Um I don't know a bit of luck I suppose I am just hoping I can play as long as possible I think I've, I've kind of normalized it now uh, it's been obviously five years I've been a full-time job and had to use annual leave and don't get me wrong work have been supportive in terms of flexible in terms of timing and the nature of my job it is actually a very very busy time of year and um, so I am grateful that I'm able to do this as well um, but it does it does mean you're using up like when it comes to when maybe we can go on holiday again like my holidays are used for rugby <laughs> um, but the games this weekend it's, it's Scott's turn it's a home game for Scotland albeit there's going to be no fans there but um, it's probably going to be a bit closer Ian because I mean it's 
it's you know the the game the scoreline against. I mean, Italy kind of got beaten by a high margin by England, and England beat Scotland. Um, but essentially, Italy and Scott the Italy and Scottish setups are are broadly similar. I think. Uh, yeah, I think we've uh, as you you'll hear, and I'm sure I'm not breaking any embargoes for saying this, but. Uh, <laughs> Italy have won the last three times that um, that we've played them, uh, but the last one was in an absolute squall uh, in Padova, um, and then it was it was nineteen nil at half time. Uh, it finished twenty six twelve, and I think the year before that uh, we'd been beaten twenty six seven. But um, Italy scored two tries right at the death, uh, which which put a, a fair bit of gloss on it. Um, and as well as that, I don't think I think they predate Philip Doyle coming in. Um, mm-hmm. It was the first ever you know, full time Scotland head coach for the women's team. Um, so it is. I mean, obviously, it's not a fully professional setup uh, for the for the women, but you know, there's a, there are players who are playing professional. Um, and obviously, what with the the, the the SRU have, as we you know discussed about the Six Nations laws last year, um, you know. Rachel Malcolm was very clear about it. She said the SRU are funding the women's game quite well now. Obviously, it's going to take a bit of a dent what with the COVID nonsense. Um, but yeah, I think this will be a lot closer. Um, like you said, with the England game, you know, I thought particularly the set piece looked a lot better. Um, and there are some very good players. Uh, unfortunately, um, the, the, there was also a press conference with Ross Miller, one of the assistant coaches. Um, he has uh, said that Rachel Malcolm is out for the rest of the tournament. Um, yeah, I mean, she she played with someone. She injured her knee in the first couple of minutes, and then played for yeah, the the rest of the half. Basically, straight from kickoff, she's hurt herself, um, and then I think at one point she's tried to like drag down Poppy Cleo, who is like, an unstoppable player. Um, so yeah, you know, just shows the the measure of of Doctor Malcolm um, that you know she had prepared to to put herself on the line like that for the team. Um, but I hopefully will. We'll get a game, and you know, it's a all-weather surface, which the Italians might not be used to. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, it's it's the Scotland women's home now, um, so you know, slight slight advantages there. Is this one on the on the big telly as well, or are we are we having to... it's it's not. I mean, we'll jump straight to the hands in the ruck. We had a hands in the ruck from uh, somebody about this. Um, more of a question than anything else. As uh, Eleanor Stanley said, um, it was rehashing the hands in the ruck from last week. But BBC Scotland have nothing scheduled on Saturday at five pm. Not even a repeat of flog a pointless bargain escape to the country or river city. <laughs> uh, no idea if folk contact in BBC Scotland could persuade them to show the women's game, but it's worth a try. Um, I, I've had a look. Um, it's Chelsea are playing um, in the I don't know the Milk Cup. Do they still do the Milk Cup? The Rumbles Cup. This cup. <laughs> I don't know. They're playing in a cup. There's this football. There's, there's there's English football on BBC One Scotland on Saturday. Which <sighs> do you know? Given you can, I mean, on iPlayer now you can actually choose your region. Yep. So it's not you know, it's not hard to think that if you stuck the Scotland women Italy Scotland women versus Italy this weekend on at the same time as the Chelsea game on BBC One Scotland, that somebody wouldn't have the wherewithal to kind of if they really wanted to watch the Chelsea game, just change the region settings and watch yeah. and watch it. It's a it's a real missed opportunity yet again, isn't it? And again, uh, really, uh, it bugs me quite a lot because people. Do you remember when, obviously, when 
Premier Premier Sports, who shall not be named, picked up the Pro uh, Pro Twelve Pro Fourteen contract, and people were saying, "Why weren't the BBC bidding for this? Why weren't you know why why are the games no longer on Alba and things like that?" And it's like, look at look at the absolute disdain they show for the women's game. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it is. Like, let, let's not sugarcoat it. It's just utter disdain they're showing, and it's really disappointing. It doesn't really make any sense either because no. I mean, you know, Ian, you you you've been at the press conferences and there's you know the the, the kind of big names from Scottish rugby reporting are all there. It's the, the press conferences are getting busier than than they have yep. been, and it's yep. making. I mean, it's back page of a couple of papers. Some of the interviews from this week and last week. Um, yeah, but like like John said, it's it just comes across as disdain now. Um, you know, you're getting. Like we've said before, it's, it's allegedly the fastest growing, um, or it was the fastest growing uh, participant sport uh, in the world, um, and there's not a lot of other options. Um, there's actually there's a Twitter, uh, peti- uh, sorry, there's a petition you can sign on change by Clarewood Mansi, uh, which wants you know the BBC to show it, and I mean it's not just the fact that. It's on the iPlayer. I found it very difficult to find it on the iPlayer. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure if I mentioned that. I logged in early and it wasn't there. And it wasn't like it said coming up or, you know, if you go to the sports section. It's not well, like, you had to wait till the, the, the I point had to wait until the started. And, and I missed yeah, the first 10 joke. minutes of chat. Um, and it, it was only when I went to the BBC Sport website and then you could watch it off of there. That's when I, I realised it was now on air. <laughs> you piss about with the fire stick and stick it on that. I, it's funny to be in a situation where the BBC are uh, behind the times in terms of uh, fast-growing sports, isn't it? Can you well, imagine? I mean, they, they stuck the... Was it Saturday night BBC4 was uh, England women's football? It was on BBC4. But they, as a mark of respect, they put it on the iPlayer. Which it's not like the game was cancelled or anything. It's just we're going to broadcast. We're going to put this on the internet instead of put it on BBC Four, which is an arts channel, as a mark of respect. It's what DMX would have wanted. He wanted to love our best lives. Party up! X would have brought it to you. X would have brought it to you. Yeah, he'd have brought that game to you via BBC One. No bother at all. So um yeah we'll we'll try I'll try and find the change um petition I'll stick it on the podcast post on the blog so you got scottishrugbyblog.co.uk and you find the most recent podcast posted the sub we'll put the link to the survey on there as well as the link to the great game documentary as well I did sign it but I, I was a wee bit upset because I didn't have my location on and it tried to default my location to eh eleven so you try to say eleven oh. you try to say eleven Edinburgh eh? oh, yeah. <laughs> Not, not I, I had I had to put my uh, my employer postcode into something recently, and because I'm registered through the Edinburgh office of my current employer, uh, I had to put a, a, an EH11 postcode in, and I, it felt dirty. I, I was I was re- I was really really upset about this. I was like, that, that "Why you're all warriors topped up tonight?" That's what, yeah, basically, <laughs> like, I've been, yeah, I've I've been like compensating. Yeah, I've been like walking around the house going, oh man, pure, got to talk like this all day, man. This is pure good. So, like, proper gene myself up into Glaswegian again. Like, I had to I had to wash three times. We wait till John's now based out of Emory, slowly watching morph over the next few weeks. <laughs> it's like I scroll through, the, I have to occasionally scroll through our uh, YouTube feed just to check everything's okay. And I can see my lockdown here waving up and down as we watch it because we record these now. We see John slowly merge into kind of a. Ross Ford. 
<laughs> when he starts turning up wearing gillets and red trousers, we know we're in trouble. Oh, I've got a, I've got a wee pair over there actually. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's it. Scotland women. If you are wanting to, um, yeah, John, you'll have had your tea. <laughs> Martin Bell says. Oh, 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 so, oh, salt and sauce, is it? Salt and sauce. I did chappy tonight actually, and I did not have salt and sauce. So, um, so yeah, it's five o'clock, and it is on BBC iPlayer. If you can find it. Um, broadcast in black and white is a mark of respect. Um, <laughs> for DMX, I said I wasn't going to make jokes, but this is going to move on. I you told us, yeah, told us no. I can you make jokes about the BBC. I'm making jokes about the BBC. What? Anyway, <laughs> um, we'll we'll move on. So that's five o'clock. BBC iPlay. We'll, we'll we'll cover it next week on the podcast. Um, the big news today, though. Um, is that Gregor Townsend and Steve Tandy were named as the um, attack and defence coach, respectively, for the British and Irish Lions, alongside uh, Rob McBride, formerly of uh, Leinster and Wales, Neil Jenkins, uh, or the ghost of Neil Jenkins, as he looks absolutely haunted. <laughs> He's so, so does not look a well man, does he? He's so old, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he started saying, he's not. <laughs> I was saying to somebody today, I actually started to look like uh, the character he dressed up as in the 1997 Lions 2 documentary <laughs> when he dressed up as Rupert. Um, and obviously you've got Warren Gatland in charge as well. It's weird. There's been lots of jokes about essentially Warren Gatland has, has um, you know, gathered together a group of bald men. It's just you know utterly amazing just watching the kind of you know look at the lineup and they've I like the fact that they've stuck in the press photos as well the line they've they've stuck Warren Gatland in the middle I know he's head coach but obviously just to give it that balance of two bald heads either side of him <laughs> two eggs either side. Oh. Did I think Robin McBride looked a bit like uh, looked a bit like Dominic West after he'd been in a fight? <laughs> like somebody showed an old picture. So was like, um, but yeah, no, uh, I think. Now Townsend, of course, as we know, didn't go a few years ago because he just got the Scotland job. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you've read Tom English's article on the, the BBC, but he he was saying, you know, when Townsend took that Scotland job, there was there was a potential for him to be the head coach this time round, but then mm-hmm. twenty nineteen was a t- disaster, really, wasn't it? Um, you know, we had a poor Six Nations and we had a dreadful World Cup, um, and, and then. We got Steve Tandy in, and the difference in Scotland's defence is just unreal. I think yeah. uh, you know, uh, Kyle Patterson, um, who I'm sure John knows, I don't know if, oh. if he listens to the podcast or anything, um, but he did like the last year of Matt um, Matt Taylor's reign as defence coach. Scotland he conceded 32 tries, and I think over the last two years we've conceded like 12. You know, um, this has been a massive difference, um, and you know, he's rightly, I think, going on that, yeah, along with Gregor. I mean, he's, he's in, I think, because Andy Farrell kind of withdrew late on, um, for, for reasons reasons unknown, but I think essentially that a lot of the coaches withdrew. I don't know if it's because of the uh, the schedule, some, some rumors it's to do with the schedule, or whatever. But if you want somebody to come in and kind of turn it around overnight. That's exactly what Steve Tandy's done with Scotland, John. It's not, it's not been a kind of slow. Oh, let's get used to the coach. It was literally kind of. I know we were a bit sceptical after coming off the World Cup, but actually looking back at that first Six Nations, as disappointing as some of the games were, the defence improved like straight away in the Ireland game. Yeah, no, absolutely, and he he did. He made he made a massive impact, and actually, you noticed 
uh, in that first Six Nations where, where he was in charge of the defence, the intensity, the difference between the, the, the intensity that he'd put into the players and the, the kind of latter, um, almost the latter months of the uh, the mentioned Matt, um, it, it was very different and you could see the players were working much harder in defence. Whereas we probably had this feeling before that defence was kind of an afterthought. We were like we were swashbuckling Scotland. We were going to uh, throw the ball through our legs and go and score a hundred tries a game, and then you know beat everybody. And yeah, we'll concede ninety nine tries, but it's fine because we'll score more than them, which you know isn't international rugby as much as we would all love it to be. It just isn't international rugby. So Steve Tandy's come in. The team just look a lot more organised, and it just goes to show the benefit of even even just simple organisation in defence. It seemed to be lacking before, and he you can tell he's a guy who works in that that premise of just the small wins, you know, the, the or the easy wins, you know, just spacing between defenders. Mm. Like literally, it's as simple as that. He's he's gone got better spacing between defenders. He's got better numerical matches. And he's got an organiser in Chris Harris. Whereas Chris Harris, well, yeah, he was in the team before, but he, there's definitely more responsibility being put on him now to really organise that defence. And, you know, it, it, it just works. Yeah. Um, the other thing, I, this is uh, someone else's hands in the ruck. We're going to be have no hands in the ruck, um, by the way, today, because... I'll, I'll need uh, to figure out one just now then. No, you'll be fine. Don't, we'll, 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 just, we'll, we'll not do hands in the ruck this week. Um, we've got complaints about Tunis... Uh, this is from Callum White on Twitter. Complaints about uh, Townsend's qualifications for Lions attack coach was his hands in the ruck because Scots have become more balanced, less all-out attack team. Thereby ignoring his focus on attacking rugby that clearly worked out against the best teams in the world in the first few years of his Scotland... Uh, his time as Scotland boss, and I think there is something in that. I mean, you know, he, he worked out a lot of this, the defenses of you know, New Zealand, we ran New Zealand close. We had quite that the game again, actually, the game against South Africa in 2018. Although I think South Africa had the better of us at the breakdown attack wise, we, we we did tear them open. It was a lot closer game. I think when I look, I had to look back on it just to see how Hamish Watson had performed in that game for a for a thing to prove that he wasn't lightweight. Um, <laughs> but I mean, well, that try opened them up and, you know, those kind of things, were that was a Townsend attack. That try that try over with the Hugh Jones flick. Oh, oh. that pass. That's oh. that's showboating. That is, we, we appreciate a bit of that. Um, yeah, that's a lovely try. Yeah. But it's, the. I mean, Gatlin said today that, there's, that he's been given the name of 50 players by the coaches which is, you know, and that's got to come down to, I mean, I think the rumour is 36. Yeah. So there's, I'll do my quick maths, 14 players to be shown from there. And whether, I mean, 36 seems small. I think we've talked about this before. 36 seems small given that they can't bring anybody, any replacements in once they're in South Africa because you're a two-week, you sat in a hotel for two weeks before you can join in. So, you, I mean, you know, I'd be very surprised if you're going to have, for a start in the front row with with props and hookers, you're going to have to go with four of each. I think for for the, for the very reason that if you've got three, you need to have two on the bench of each position to fulfil. You need to have two in each matchday squad rather to be able to play the, play the game. And you've got two then, so so one drops, then all of a sudden you it's squeaky bum time. So I'd be very surprised if it did if it ended up kind of being 
36 seems small in yeah i mean you'd think maybe 38 would be slightly more manageable unless you can take anyone who's who can comfortably do either side of scrum hmm. um but they're they're pretty few and far between um so i don't i mean i think we're, we're going to see a lot of the sort of hybrid lock blindside kind of guys um which we might get onto later again. Like, yeah. Well, uh, um, yeah. But yeah, another thing um, regarding sort of Townsend, you know what you're saying, people about Townsend not being qualified as an attack coach. He, again, this was from the Tom English article I read earlier. Scotland scored 21 tries in the Six Nations. There's not, there wasn't a lot of teams who'd scored more tries than that um, throughout the competition's history. Hmm. I mean, Wales, Wales scored more tries this year. Um, but other than that, I think there was three times England had done it when they'd won Grand Slams, and maybe a couple of times like you know Ireland and France had done it. We are starting to get this balance now, you know. Like John was saying, you know, it was, it was the swashbuckle in Scotland before. Then last year was a lot more pragmatic. Now we're trying to marry that together, <laughs> and obviously the fact when you've got an absolute monster of an attacker like Duhan van der Merva, and you bring back one of the best fly halves in the world to your squad, um, that helps matters. Yeah, I mean, it's almost going back. I mean, to, from a Lions point of view as well, it's it's going back. Who are the best coaches? Is it necessarily who are the winningest, most winningest coaches? Either? I mean, you look at you know Jim Telfer and Ian McGeekin. Were you know they, they weren't be you know they they are two of the greatest Lions coaches we've we've had, and yet neither of them when they were kind of coaching Scotland at the time that they were then made Lions coaches. It's not like they were coaching a dominant Scotland side, one that was consistently winning. They, but they were viewed as very, very good, well thought of coaches doing I suppose doing a job with with what little they were given and that's exactly what you need in a, a coach of a scratch side. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. And you know, um I think um it does it takes a certain type of coach to be a Lions tourist coach, uh, and uh, I think it's maybe less so now in the modern era. But you, you know, if you remember back to our review of the '97 documentary and stuff like that, there was uh, it, it was it's definitely a unique environment, shall we say, uh, that the the boys found themselves in. And yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because it's something Warren Gatlin was talking about today, and some of the interviews that came up about you know the fact that he's spoken to coaches about how players have struggled in the bio bubbles and the fact it's going to be difficult going to South Africa and having to be in those circumstances and how they're going to manage that. And I think one thing that's not talked about enough with Townsend is he's actually got a fairly wicked sense of humour. I was watching about this, the video of um, it's when Stuart Town, uh, Stuart Town, Stuart Hogg won the uh, player of the tournament in, what's it, 2017? It might have been 2018. Um and 16 the, 17 he won, so it would have been... So I think it was the 16, it might have been the 16, I can't remember which one it was, but the SRU yes, had a video of um, of the, them kind of surprising Stuart Hogg in the camp of the fact that he'd won it. And Gregor Townsend had done a PowerPoint presentation in which he'd included Stuart Hogg's Beeble profile photos. That's right, yep, that's right. So it's not, you know... It, <laughs> I think that's you know he can't you know this kind of this portrait of Gregor Townsend as this kind of like very straight guy kind of you know very tactical very very intelligent coach but I think underneath all that there's also you know, I think he's people underestimate sometimes you know his his man management abilities as well and I think he's obviously learned a lot from the Finn Russell episode because 
you know, there's not many coaches can come back from something like that and and work with a player again at the level that they have done. I have to agree with that. It's, uh, it takes a lot. It takes a lot for a coach to do that, and particularly in the type the type of environment it was in. You know, I think he um, he showed a lot of maturity, which we we all. I think it's fair to say we all criticised maybe some of the management style at the time. Um, but actually, it's how you can, you know, people make mistakes. We all know that, right? But it's how you come back from them. It's what you do next that's most important. And I think he's really shown, like, a incredible amount of maturity to, to kind of say, do you know what? Yeah. There's going to be stuff that we both disagree about, but let's let's go on with it. And he's man management. You can see that in the players, like particularly this camp, the the intensity of the players. They just they they all clearly want to play for Scotland, and you know, ultimately playing for Scotland. We've all we've all been line managed. You know, ultimately they're line managed by Greg, Gregor Townsend, so they're playing for their manager. They're playing for the playing for that jersey via him and. You just have to look at some of the players that he's brought through and, and just the way they've committed to being part of the Scottish setup. But even guys like Duhan who've come in and just hit the ground running, that's that's a testament to Gregor Townsend's management. I think it's yeah, something that's really important, I think, Ian, going to the somewhere like South Africa with the Lions as well, that you're gonna you know it's easy it's it's relatively easy. Although he's done a very good job, but to forge a you know an identity within a national team, but to forge an identity of a, a scratch side where you've got from four different countries, you know five of you include Northern Ireland as well. So you know it's 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 not an easy it's not an easy task, and that's you know I think is he's been in that environment himself, I suppose, on, on as as Alliance tourist, and also that kind of. Some of the work he'll have done with Scotland in building up, building a team is going to come in useful as well. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you can you can tell by his sort of character he's not going <clears> to <throat> excuse me, uh, he's not a sort of blood and thunder type. But as you you know, if anyone who's read his autobiography knows, you know, I was going to say little blood and thunder types examples: Sir Alex Ferguson, Jim Telfer. Uh, but we know if you've read the document, if you've read his autobiography, um, Jim Telfer did give him a bit of a sort of arm around the shoulder looks on this is how we're going to go about this um, and that just shows good emotion intelligence and I think that's something that Townsend clearly has um, and obviously you know he's he's played in South Africa, France Australia, England, Scotland you know he's he, he is, he's a very inquisitive <laughs> I was going to say he's a curious chap but that could come across either way <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a very inquisitive gentleman and you know he's, he's one of these people who likes to like, you know meet people and learn things and, and I think that the fact that he's you know he's not a, a bullish sort he's not going to go in to you know I, I can't imagine him going in uh, you know uh, where was he playing in France was it Perpignan mm-hmm. uh, yeah he's not going to go in there and start you know acting the prima donna and say look this is my team now you know sort of thing he's he's a very considered gentleman um, and I think that'll be I think it'll be a massive boon to 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 the Lions players he's picking, and also like John was saying there, you know, you know the whole thing with Finn Russell. I mean, there, there was some, I wouldn't say spiteful, but I mean there were, there was barbs thrown. You know, there was there were shots fired by both sides there, um, and but they've they've put that behind them um, because ultimately they want 
to they want the best for Scotland and they want to be the best at their jobs. Um, and I think you know, they're, I think a good, good let's be honest, I think this is this is an audition, I think, for Gregor Townsend to get the Lions job yeah. in four years' time. Yeah. I reckon that's what this I think, is. I think it's a really important point you make, Ian, that they want the best for Scotland and they want to be the best at their jobs. I think people forget uh, that ultimately these guys are, are in employment, they're in a performance business, but you know, ultimately they've got jobs. You know, Finn Russell's next contract is determinant on, you know, yes, how well he plays at Racing, but also, you know, the biggest international stage, playing playing well in the Six Nations, playing well at World Cups, that playing well for the Lions, that all adds value to his contract. So wherever he's negotiating a contract next, please be Glasgow, please be Glasgow, please be Glasgow. Um, <clears throat> you know, it just adds value to that contract. And the same goes for Gregor Townsend, you know, Anyone who thinks Gregor Townsend is going to be Scotland coach for the next 10 years doesn't, hasn't followed Gregor Townsend because, as Ian says, he moves around, he is inquisitive, he wants to learn. Um, so he's not going to stay Scotland coach forever. But his next move is determined by how well he does at, yes, being Scotland coach, but also how well he does at the Lions. Uh, how well he puts himself across and how well his message is received. And, you know, him and Finn Russell have kind of agreed to some extent that it's beneficial for both their careers to be getting yeah. along. There's, there's an interesting point here for Martin Bell, but picks up on something you've said, uh, John, is that, you know, one of Townsend's strengths is he's always learning. Man management is a good example. Working with love them or loathe them, the most successful Lions head coach in history will help him kick on again. I think you look at the, the length of time that Warren Gatlin was with Wales. And you know we're saying that what you know Gregor Townsend is not going to be Scotland coach forever, but there's nothing to say that he 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 won't have a good if he can learn from Warren Gatlin, then we can have a constantly evolving. That's the challenge, isn't it? You know to have a constantly evolving team at international level and and throw in there the prospect of you know doing the Lions every four years. Warren Gatlin's done it for three tours now. There's nothing to stop Gregor Townsend doing that from the next tour onwards if. If he's successful, but that's ultimately it, isn't it? In a nutshell, if he's successful, and we all need to remind remind ourselves that the Tuesday clock was ticking uh, <laughs> not that long ago. The um, the other thing that's, I mean, I got slightly excited, allowed myself to get slightly excited about this Lions tour after the disappointment of the last five Lions tours, um, <laughs> but. You know, it, it does feel exciting because we've got, you know, Scottish representation on the coaching staff. So they're, you know, the 50-50 the calls or even the 60-40 calls. You know, if you've got 60-40 calls and Gregor Townsend or Steve Tandy wants someone and they believe they could work with and do a job, they can pull stats out of their back pocket that, that, that wouldn't be available to, to the other coaches <coughs> or from other nations who aren't represented there. So I think that goes in their favour. The other side of that, though, which someone pointed out to me on Twitter today is there is also an element of you've got the job as Lions coach and you want to do a good job so you, there might be a ruthlessness about that that you you know you have to pick the best side and that might be mean dropping your favourite players it might be mean not showing any favouritism so whilst I have some hope that we might a couple of those 50-50 calls might start to go our ways. I'm also also conscious of the fact that Gregor Townsend and Steve Tandy will want to come in and show that they can do a good job and they're not going to owe anybody any favours, Ian. 
Um, yeah, well, the thing is, right, like you said, and like we've been saying, it's all about results. So I don't think Townsend would be so vain as to say, no, I want this. I mean, but at the end of the day, though, right, it's it's more than Shout, you know, Steve Tandy and Gregor Townsend could stand there and stomp their feet and what have you and say, no, pick Chris Harris immediately. But Warren Gatlin go, nah, I'm going to pick JD2 again. <laughs> you know, so that's a kind of get out for him is that, I think it's get out, it's just more of a, well, I can put the case forward, but I don't get the final box ticking. Um, but this thing, I think I think it's actually really good news for Finn Russell, um, mm-hmm. to be honest, yep. because you know, people go, oh, but he's a wild maverick renegade. But Tony will actually, no, there's been a couple of times where I've just said, look, could you do this and this? And he'll do it. Um, and, and Russell's kicking game is excellent. You know, he's, yeah. His long kicking game is, is from hand is, is, is very um, Obviously, we'd, I think we did, did we end up with Dan Bigger on our team last? We last did week? end up in the 15, we ended oh. up with Dan Bigger. I think if you're looking at your, if you're looking at your fly halves options, the, the, there's two things you, you do as a Lions coach. There's two things that Lions coaches in the past have done. Is one is you look at who's the best now, but you also have to look at who's going on tour next time and who you want, who's going to be available next time. Now, Johnny Sexton's not going to be available next time. And a lot of people have put Johnny Sexton in the Lions squads, but Johnny Sexton is not going on this Lions tour. It's going to be bigger and Russell are going. I think Farrell will go. I mean, Gatlin today was talking about Saracen's players having, um, you know, credit in the bank and, you know, uh, and, and all that. So I think some of the, yeah, I think you, you'll you see Farrell going. Um, but I don't, I don't see Russell not going, especially now that Townsend's in charge. Like you said, he's, he, he'll be able to put in the word and say, this is what he, this guy does behind the scenes. This is, you see the, you see the wild maverick on the pitch, but actually behind the scenes, he's, He's he's involved in the attack planning. He's involved in, in all of this stuff. I think it probably means Chris Harris is is probably nailed on certain as well. So do you, do you want to do the top five? So I'm actually on a betting site right now. I'm not going to say which one. Um, okay. Chris Chris Harris's odds have come down significantly for for going on tour. By the way, like I was, I really wish I'd taken it. At, what was it? Ninety one. You heard? I had, it? I've got it. I've got it at ten. I've got a ten to one. Ten to one. Ah. So it's ninety four now. Uh, so, but do you want to do the top five absolute certainties that this betting site has going on tour for Scotland in the backs? In, Sorry. in the backs, in the backs for for, for all, all all nations, all nations in the backs. Top five. So I'll, I'll I'll give you some clues. There's there's Farrell. one. There's at least one from each. Eight. So Farrell's top. Yeah, yeah. One to twenty on. Farrell will be going on tour. Yeah. Henshaw. Henshaw, yes, one to ten. Um, George North. Oh, see, George North is slightly down, but he's 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 in the top ten because the bookies do shorter odds than Henshaw. Farrell's got shorter odds than Henshaw because the bookies are trying not to make a loss. So the the bookies will know that lots of lots of English fans are going to put money on on Farrell. So it's not it's not necessarily based on whether or not that's so Um, we've got. Yep, obvious one. Or oh, Alan Wynne Jones. I'm talking. Hoggy. I'm talking backs. Talking backs. backs. Oh, sorry. Hoggy, of course. Hoggy. Yeah, Hoggy, Hoggy goes at one to twenty. So he's the there, same as Farrell. There is a worrying number of people. Lewis Rees Summit. Lewis Rees Summit. No, he is. Lewis Rees Summit. Bloody hell! He is one to two to go. 
See, I just thought loads of people might put money on him. That's all. And it's the Anthony same as Gary Ring, Gary Ringrose, and uh, Lewis, uh, Liam Williams. Sorry, Anthony Watson. Uh, so he's sixth in the list. <laughs> so the other, the other, the other two we've got your two wingers. You've got Johnny May at one to ten, no. and you've got Josh Adams at one to ten. Mm. No, I'd put Watson well ahead of me because Watson's vers- Watson can play at fullback as well. Watson's um, versatile, yeah, I know. I'm surprised at that. I mean, Johnny, Johnny May can only play left wing. Um, yeah. So Finn, Finn Russell is 46 to go, which is behind mm-hmm. Dan Bigger and Johnny Sexton, but at least ahead of George Ford. And uh, as I said, we've got, who else have we got here? Chris Harris, 94. Ali Price, 52 to go. I was going to ask, who's the shortest odd scrum half? Because that's uh, uh, Connor Murray, one one to five, followed by. Can you, I was just thinking this today. Can you, Gregor Townsend, has to work with Connor Murray now. <laughs> he has to work with his standing leg. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, I bet that Gregor's trying to get Josh Strauss into camp. <laughs> <laughs> and I also say right, Connor Murray and Stuart Hogg are not rooming together. That's hundred percent. Um, so yeah, Duhan's Duhan's pretty high up there. Um, Ali Price is high up there. We've also got um, Darcy and Hugh Jones mentioned, and Sean Maitland and Sam Johnson. What what were Hamish Watson's odds? Lightweight. Days. Let's let's go. The, uh, Hamish Watson, the lightweight that he is, he is behind the following. So you've got Mauro. I told you at one to ten. Furlong at ten. James Ryan, Ken Owens. Kyla Sinclair, Alan Jones, Talupi Falato, and then Hamish Watson at one to four, alongside Justin Tipperick and Tide uh, Byrne and Wyn Jones. I don't think that Kyle Sinclair's going to go. No. I think Xander might get in ahead of him. Yeah, I don't I, think he should go. He got absolutely gubbed the last game I seen him play. I don't get the big deal. With, I mean, there was going on a bit. The English media keeps going on about Sinclair and Genji. Like, oh, they're so powerful. And the, you know, the scrummaging technique isn't great. Um, yes, they are powerful runners. They're very good bowling loose. But there's there's some discipline issues, particularly with Genji. And I don't yeah. think they're particularly good scrummagers. Um, no. I don't. I mean, we pick up uh, Xander on the refs, Mike, saying Genji's dropped it, sir. Right. So Genji's quite far down the list here, actually. Yeah. But Xander's pretty high up. It's John Welsh is after him. <laughs> <laughs> How good was that? <laughs> For those well, who didn't see it, um, Ellis Genge gave some uh, John Welsh uh, uh, some. He had a word in John Welsh's ear as John Welsh was was walking away from him, and John Welsh, uh, junior Glasgow boxing champion, decided to go after Ellis Genge to to address it. Under fourteen Scotland national boxing champion John Welsh. <laughs> And then you see afterwards, like Ryan Wilson had tweeted saying, like, oh man, Genji's lucky there, he'd get dropped. And everyone's and everyone starts going, Oh, that's very unprofessional if you say that, Ryan. I know there seemed to be a lot of people from Bristol that thought it was very unprofessional. It was like, no, he didn't say he didn't say that you should go knock him out. It was just that if Genji tried it with a former Scottish boxing champion, Glaswegian, that's probably not going to end well for you. Yeah. <laughs> and Genji did absolutely shit a brick. It, so he, he he flinched. He got he he deserved two for flinching. He, yeah. he was <laughs> two for flinching. I've not heard that in ages. <laughs> Old school man. <laughs> so unfortunately, 
So Jamie Ritchie has the same odds for going on tour as Simon Bergen. Oof. No, actually, I now now bear with me on this. I do. <laughs> I think there's something to be. I do wonder, and I think it will depend on the the squad size that they decide to take. But I I think that Townsend, um, and Tandy being there in the room. It, it improves chances of offering the kind of Lions fringe players that we might have had, especially someone like Jamie Ritchie, who is a future Lion or potentially yeah. a future Lion and is a young guy. He's potentially got another two tours under his belt with the Lions. Three at a push. Based on Alvin Jones, he's got seven tours ahead of him. <laughs> But he's but uh, he's somebody that you know if you if you're having that conversation of we've got a fifty fifty call to make here do we go with the old guy or do we go with the young guy that might come on tour with us in in future Jamie Ritchie gets the nod because again you know you can I think you we talk about how he didn't play very well in the autumn but ended the Six Nations very well well you've got a someone in the room now that can explain the blip someone in the room that can talk about what he does and I think that's. That for me kind of helps with those fringe players. It does, but it doesn't explain why Simon Bergen would be. No, God, no. <laughs> I'm one. No, here's my here's my absolute left field call is um, Cami Redpath for the Lions. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. I think I can see that. It depends on the game Warren Gatlin wants to play. Yeah, if he wants to but, actually move the ball at twelve. My only, my only, my thing in favour of that is that Townsend talked about how quickly Cameron Redpath was able to come into Scotland camp, pick up all the def- all the kind of plays and all the and the defence and the attack yep. plans within a, a week, week and a half of coming into the camp and then play an absolute stormer in his debut international game against England. And unfortunately, he's got injured. But again, it's not... You know, not outside the realms of possibility that again, if you're looking for a dirt track, someone to bring somebody young in as a dirt tracker and hold some tackle bags and get used to the tour, then he's your, he's a good shout. I think it was interesting as well seeing the so uh, the the interview with Finn Russell actually when um, he was asked. So it was before the England game. He was asked about the impact of Cameron Redpath, and he was talking a lot about how he'd just come in and. Like Finn Russell was saying, he was learning from him as well, mm. and it was that. I mean, that shows an incredible level of confidence. Like you're going into a camp for the first time, um, and, and let's not forget, he's going into a camp that he maybe had not chosen to go into originally, uh, and that he went went <laughs> with England before. So you know, there's all these things. Whilst we we can laugh about it and stuff, there there. You know, it is something that might play in a player's mind, but he's clearly just went in there and said, you know what, I'm quite a good rugby player, by the way, and I'm going to kind of just show what I've got. And him and Finn Russell seem to get on really, really well. And I think they are two two guys cut from a similar cloth. And I think Cam Redpath's quite quite keen on trying things. And you saw that right from the off. I mean, his first touch in international rugby is to belt a sensational clearance kick that, Probably was quite risky, and if that gets caught in field, there's a lot of space for England to be, mm. to to go champing down. But he knew, he's like, you know what, I'm going to find some grass and I'm going to just batter the ball into touch and whoop whoop, here we go. 
And yeah. I think it's left peg as well, wasn't it? Ah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so aside as um, Martin Bell's, I've thought the last question then before we before we disappear for this evening. Um, like, so we're not doing hands in the tonight because everyone knows I, 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 the collective hands in the rock, the whole of Scotland is that Hamish Watson. You know, Stephen Jones has said that Hamish Watson's lightweight. Stephen Jones is a complete and utter plat and deserves to be slapped yeah. in the coupon. So Martin Bell, last question for tonight. Martin Bell says, on the Red Path theme and setting aside Lou Shree Summit, who do you think are the genuine Bolter contenders for the Home Nations for the tour? I heard that somebody was uh, respected journalists have been banding about names like Blair Cowan. So desperate what? they are to, uh, so desperate are they to kind of... I, I saw one person saying that. Um, I was like, seriously? Um, it would be Sam Simmons. Yep. just as because also Warren Gatland, it would be another <laughs> all right, Eddie, go and yeah, go and do something with yourself. Yeah. I think I think uh, Sam Simmons, maybe maybe from Ireland, you might go as far as to say um, the the. I mean, I don't even know how many Burns there are now, but like the 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 youngest of the Burns, um, who's been tearing up trees for Leinster. Um, he, he Ross, could be Ross a uh, not Ross Byrne, a younger one than Ross. There's oh. another one, Harry. Harry Byrne, Ed, Ed Byrne, the comedian. Uh, <laughs> I think it's Harry. Um, if there's anybody watching from Ireland, they'll correct me, but I think it's yeah, I think it's Harry. Um, but yeah, they've got they've got another burn at Leinster, and he's been playing very well. Uh, when filling in during the international window, he was very, very good. It was one of those guys you, you know, you, wa- you watch a player and you go. Aye, he's he's got it. So here's Hugo my ball. Hugo Keenan's yeah. another one. Keenan's a good shout as well. Yeah, my um my bolter. Now bear with me on this. The um, Richie Vernon. I don't think I don't think Scotland are going to. I don't, who? Richie Vernon. <laughs> Richie Vernon. Well, there you go. That's it. I mean, that's the only bolter there is, really. I think there's a chance that Scotland don't tour now this summer. Because there's nothing arranged, there's nothing in place. We've lost Townsend and Tandy. All the players need a rest that aren't going on the Lions tour. So let's just not bother and give everybody a rest. They didn't tour in 2009, so there's precedent for it. Yep. So we just sack in the summer tour. Then all the South African or the South African based Scottish players get the summer off go and go to home. South Africa. Ollie Kebble, Jakob van der Volt. Pierre Schumann. I was going to say, went to school Third already. test. Third test Schumann's eligible for. Third test. Injury-ravaged oh. Lions squad. Jaco van der Voelt starts to fly half. <laughs> 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 the ultimate geography, the geography one. Call him. <laughs> the geography one. <laughs> and, and he wins the last test with a 60-metre penalty. Oh, kick, yeah. Yeah. At, one at one, by, one yeah. by Pierre Schumann from the scrums. From, uh, so yeah, Pierre Schumann is eligible for the last test, so he'd have to. But, you know, stranger things have happened. That's a Shane Williams got a call up to the Lions in Australia because he was on holiday in Hong Kong. That's true. He, he was, he was, uh, he was, no, he was over doing press work. He was, he was doing press yeah. work for the Lions. I think uh, it's Stephen Donald. The, uh, Stephen Donald yeah. called up from fishing. Yep. yep. He's out catching whitebait. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, my, sh- my shirt doesn't Aye. fit anymore. <laughs> yeah. Martin Bell says, Pierre Schumann is genuinely a good shout and he is, but unfortunately the dates are, the, given the current schedule, it would he would only be eligible for the last test. That's a shit. But Kebble, Kebble's not a bad shout, by the way. 
Well, I mean, you, you've got. I think that there is. There might be an argument for some of the South African-born, but home nation-based players to get on a tour because just because you the because of the homesickness element, yeah, and the isolation. I don't know if you disappeared at this point, John, but your camera's off. But we were talking about guys that can play both sides of the scrum, and Kebble can do that. Kebble can play a tight head. He's built he more like can. a tight head, mm-hmm. isn't he? He's, uh, he is. He looks like a tight head, doesn't he? Yeah, and you say, well, again, again for the duck trackers, you say, well, here's a guy that's played regularly against all these teams that we're going to yeah. come up against in, in midweek. He'll give a good, you know, he'll give a good count of himself. He's, he's someone that we want our main guys to be scrumming against. And they'll know what they're up against. So. Tell you what, then, uh, potential dirt trackers, all of the sail sharks. I'm no longer, a, well, I, no, he's still a dirt tracker. Um, oh, if he gets on tour, that is. Um, no, no, he's not getting on tour. I'm, I'm not allowed to mention uh, Montpellier after getting told off for suggesting they had too many South Africans. When I went back and checked their squad, and they still had eight South Africans in their like top thirty players. That's like, more. That, that's more than there's going to be England players in the lines. Exactly. So, and and on that note, <laughs> um, were you going to say something Ian, before we go? We go for this week. Yeah. Um, worrying number of people. Well, one of whom was Chris Robshaw. It's his mate. Loads of folks still thinking Joe Marler should go. Joe Marler and Danny Kerr seem to be getting the shout. Yeah, what? Oh, it's this whole sort of oh yeah, the, the best the be, the way to beat South Africa is to beat them up up front. You don't beat South Africa up front. You don't beat no. them up. They're all monsters. <laughs> you run round them. That's the thing. Run, you run round run them really fast. It's like really Empire, Empire Strikes Back. You know, how do they bring down the attacks? Do they? Do they mash them down? No, no. They use the A wings to wrap the legs up and make them fall over. There yeah, there was yeah, exactly. There was, how do you bring down the Death Star? You don't exactly. just fly at it and crash into it. No, there, down the surface. There, there is there is no beating them in the race of the shoulder. There's no beating an at that in the race of the shoulder. You have to get around it. Yeah, and that's how. I mean, you look at how Scotland scored their tries in 2018. For we will go in a minute. <laughs> 2018, Scotland scored their tries. <laughs> we're, we're back oh, on track. Was a trick, a trick lineout. You know, a trick lineout move, and just like that, that constant offload between Pete Horn and Hugh Jones. There was about fifty off. Did they pass? Did they pass to each other about five times in that one movement? <laughs> such a good try. Sensational. I think we should really end like with that. Cammy, can you find a video of that and play on, it? Right well, now? yeah. If I can find it, well, I'll stick it on the blog. Excellent. Just people can relive it again. But on that such note, on that glorious note, well, that's it from us for this week. We'll be back next week with a review of the women's game. More lions, wild lion speculation. Uh, I'll be asking the guys next week oh. to pick their lions fifteen, uh, but they can only pick a redheads. Um, nice. <laughs> um, right, Bryce Dallas Howard, Howard at 10. Red We're, um, red before, before they actually get into this, I'm going to call it a day. So we're going to go <laughs> off now and record our Patreon special for the hardest, Scotland's hardest players of the 10s and nows. Um, that'll take us about 15 minutes to get through the 2010s hard players. Um, but <laughs> for the moment, it is goodbye from me and goodbye from John and Ian. Hey, folks. Cheerio, bye.